Hello, and welcome to episode 13 of Encore. I'm your host, Tony Franchetti. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by GIA's newest hymnal, Gather 4. That's right, the wait is finally over as this new hymnal will be in our warehouse within a couple of weeks. Gather 4th edition has been intentionally designed to be GIA's most representative and relevant Catholic hymnal to date. The musical contents represent the contemporary Catholic Church, featuring a culturally diverse roster of composers and a wider breadth of music styles. Gather 4th edition is also designed to work seamlessly with various digital assets, making it accessible and relevant in our technology-based world. It is the first hardbound GIA hymnal to be fully coordinated for use with one license, GIA's Hymnals app, and the new GIA Choral Cloud subscription. For more information or to order a review copy, contact Sales and Customer Relationship Manager Suzanne Orland at suzanneo at giamusic.com or 708-552-9815. And with that, I'd like to welcome on today's guests, both of whom are Encore's first two recurring guests, Kate Williams and Michael Silhavy. Kate and Michael, thank you for joining us today to preview this great hymnal. I've certainly been looking forward to it. How are you both this morning? Thanks, Tony. We're doing good. How about yourself? Great. Gather Four is coming out. Why wouldn't yeah. that? Why, why wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll start here. Uh, the first question I kind of have for you guys is just kind of why do you think now was the right time to revise Gather? I remember a couple of weeks back, I was talking with Ed Bolduck about the, the new Voices hymnal. And one of the reasons he said that they were well, looking into revising Voices is because of just the vast amount of repertoire that's come out since um, More Voices is one. So was that kind of what you guys were, were looking for? Just so much new repertoire has come out? Or did the life expectancy of the hymnal just kind of run its course? Yeah, you know, I think it's a, a multi-layered answer to that question, because certainly um, we've got many, many people who are part of the Gather Hymnal legacy. So they know Gather 3rd Edition, they know Gather Comp, uh, Gather Comp 2. Um, so, and they, they pay attention to the trends and they know that about every 10 years, uh, there's, right. a, there's a version of, of Gather. Gather is typically uh, the hymnal in our uh, fold that contains the most contemporary music. And so certainly customers who gravitate towards a hymnal like Gather 4 are paying attention to the new music that is coming out and are looking for that inclusion in there. Um, but I think also we have since learned a lot in the last 10 years. Um, the last time that we put out a hymnal was in, in concert with the uh, third edition of the Roman Missal, the new translation of all the new mass settings. And we've learned a lot about um, which mass settings have kind of risen to the top in their usage and where we have some room to grow still. Um, so yeah, lots of new repertoire, but also this is kind of the, this, this is kind of the pace we have set for ourselves with this hymnal. Yeah. And Kate, I also think that the book comes out every 10 years also to respond to those people who have had their hymnals for 25 or 15 years. So certainly the, the physical durability of the hymnal may be 20, 25, 30 years. I mean, there are still places with green gather in their pew, yep. but we want to uh, make sure folks are able to jump into something that we have available every 10 years rather than 15, 20 years. So, um, yeah, many, many reasons to do this. Um, and yeah, we, we've, we, we've learned a lot since 2010. We've welcomed World Library into our family since right. then. 
So that that seems about right for the gather hymnal. Yeah, great. So once you decided that now was the right time, the next the fun part of putting together the hymnal committee comes. So uh, obviously you guys put together a, a fantastic committee for this hymnal, but how did you all decide on the individuals to be part of the committee and maybe just give a quick uh, introduction and background for each member? Sure, we can do that. Um, a hymnal committee is always made up of people who are um, internal employees of the company, but also maybe arguably most importantly, it's the external, you know, kind of within the circle of family and friends of, of, of GIA and of liturgical music, um, of course. But we really wanted to do our best job at being as representative as possible. And so we tried to cover literally from coast to coast, have a representative from everywhere across the nation who work in all kinds of contexts. So if we start from west to east, right on the west coast, we had Krista Silva, who's also, as you know, a GIA composer. Krista Silva was an important part of our committee because he could speak on behalf of those who are worshiping on our, on our west coast, but also within the context of campus ministry as, as he's the music director at uh, Loyola Marymount University. Um, we had from Texas, uh, Lena Gulkeman, also coming from a campus ministry uh, setting, but um, we all know that within those campus ministry settings, there's always um, or oftentimes a, a permanent community who worships with within the, that building, even though the, the, the students' names and faces are changing on a regular basis, there, there's oftentimes a very reliable uh, community that's a, that's a part of many, many years. So she was able to bring a perspective from um, our southern border with a, a heavy emphasis on the work that she does with her students, um, certainly touches on all genres of, of music within our sacred treasury, but also a special attention towards bilingual and Spanish speaking resources because of, of her um, proximity there to, to the southern border. We had Zach Stahowski, um, at the time, or when we first started our committee work together, Zach was on the East Coast in Maryland as a parish music minister uh, there and has um, since moved to Minnesota, where he's now a parish music director. So he brought with him uh, both an East Coast perspective and a Midwest perspective, which is, of course, also where he grew up. And he's also a composer in a fold, as you know. Mm -hmm. And lastly, uh, Meredith Dean Augustin, who is a music minister in New York City. So she brought a lot of perspective for us from a deeply urban setting that is diverse and vibrant and also again really does sing that whole that whole treasury from chant all the way to the most contemporary settings of liturgical music um, so it was a wonderful committee of course uh, internally we had michael's wisdom voice we had david anderson's wisdom voice um, i had a rather raw and green voice <laughs> um, and we couldn't have done this work of course without Victoria who's been with us through uh, two hymnal projects now Oops. yeah Michael what else could we add about the committee no I think you got it I mean um, the, the fun thing about the committee is we'll assemble a, a hymnal committee because of a a belief they have a shared vision of what this hymnal should be, but there's also those wonderful moments where our mutuality and respect and commonness 
makes the arguments much more fun when you know, <laughs> someone may be so passionate about a piece and others are saying, what is this? Um, there's that trust and respect and there are heated debates. Um, and, you know, I like to think about the last hymnal I was on, Ritual Song 2. I think everyone at that table probably annoyed everyone at least once. And um, that's going to happen. And um, it's good. It's good. So that's, it's rewarding. And it's really what, hey, it, it's, uh, that, 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 that hymnal committee is what the church is called to sometimes just, these these tensions giving way to resolution and it's the history of music huh yeah. uh tension resolving into harmony so it's uh we, we we look forward to those moments when there's a discussion yes yeah definitely and you know, i'm glad you kind of mentioned that about um choosing the hymn of like everyone representing different geographical regions of the country too i never really put that together obviously it's a you know a who's who list of music ministers but i never really put that together too that each person brings kind of a unique regional voice if you will and and i think yeah. that's excellent also that perfectly transitions to our next question about let's call them passionate uh discussions if you will instead of arguments of course right so <laughs> obviously the repertoire selection process is the biggest part of putting together a new hymnal so i know that was um quite a detailed process that you all went into so uh just please uh, share with our listeners a little bit about what that was like behind closed doors. Sure. Well, if, if you think that Michael and I can have tense conversations, you should be, <laughs> you should be in the room with all of those. Yeah. We've said a number of times now with all those passionate voices, which is just, it's wonderful and frustrating and it's a mess and it's everything that it should be. No, people could not buy their way into getting a song into <laughs> do a hymnal. Um, what we do is we look at the, um, all the available resources we have for context. So we look at the last iteration of the Gather Hymnal, Gather 3, that was always in front of us, as well as um, the most recent hymnal that we put out, which was Ritual Song 2. So we always had those two books kind of in front of us to see what kind of what was the trajectory of where we were going. And of course, we also use our other hymnals Mm -hmm. to check out what's going on in there too. We try our hardest to create a really good balance of having enough music in the hymnal that sounds familiar. And so that, you know, you don't want all of the music to be, to be brand new because then people won't, won't recognize their, you know, one of the things that music does for us is it it carries a theology and a sentiment through generations. And you want that to be represented um, within the context of a, a book like a hymnal. Um, but we looked at all of the available resources that we had to give us um, context about what GIA traditionally has done. And then we invite every member of the committee to submit the things that they do in their communities or the things that they think um, really should have more of a place in our repertoire at this time. Um, so we literally look through thousands of pieces and we usually do that um, kind of this has been a three-year process and the committee has met, you know, over a year of that time mm -hmm. um, at various points throughout the year, we would all get together. Luckily we could do all this work before COVID hit. So we got to be in person with each other, really singing through thousands of songs <laughs> and discussing the merit 
um, that each of them had and what the particular piece represented in terms of the theme or the season, as well as the region or the language or looking for all of the ways that people might, might see themselves within the context of the book. And we'd sing through it, we'd talk about it. And when we were finished with our conversation, we would vote. Michael, do you mm -hmm. want to talk a little bit about the voting process? Yeah, well, uh, and boy, we, we continue to use a voting process that I think I first learned about from Worship Four or Worship Three back in the 80s, where we'll, we'll sing through a song, we'll talk about the song, people can speak in favor of against it, and then we'll call the vote. And then people will vote on a, a scale from one to five. Five means personally, I believe this song has to be in the hymnal. This is mm -hmm. a no brainer. One is this is the most awful thing I've ever heard and there's no way I'll let this in the hymnal. Three is, yeah, I would sing that. Three's right in the middle. This belongs in the hymnal. Four is, hey, I really like this. And this, this should go in a hymnal. I could see this in a hymnal. Two is uh, close, but not close enough. So we all put our fingers up, uh, just like the Olympics, and uh, then we count. And if we get above an average of four, uh, it goes in the book. Okay. Uh, and there's a lot of ooing and aahing where sometimes it misses by one or it gets in by one. <laughs> so we really, really, really try to be faithful to that. Sometimes there might be a little... Uh, I'm going to change my vote, but we don't mm -hmm. like to do that too much. There was one small update that I made to your process, Michael. I'm sorry to jump on you here, but I just want to make this clear. Instead of fingers going up, yeah, um, we had cards. Oh, I see. Some cardstock cards with, you know, numbered one to five, like the Olympics, or, you know, just to five, but we'd hold up our cards with our vote. And uh, many of the committee members took to decorating their cards, cards with stickers, which ah, yes, a really important part of our work too. <laughs> and card, and sure. cards are probably better because I'm sure there would be many times when I would see like Kate put up a five for something. Well, then I'd automatically put up a one just to block her song yep. out or something. That's so, yeah. definitely <laughs> Oh man. Topic. That's definitely a thing. So we would go through this whole process and everyone would vote and we would have good fun with that. And it's fun It's fun to see how many of the times we really are truly in agreement about things, about our collective understanding as music ministers across the country about how music is used and what music is good and worthy. Um, but then those times when we would really disagree, those are some of the most interesting times, I think, yeah. to be a part of group work like that because you get to hear you get to hear something other than your own, <laughs> your own voice and your own um, conscience on, and your own way of discerning. And I think that that kind of work makes each of us better at what we do and makes us feel confident about the decisions that we make because we have done the due diligence of, of mm -hmm. looking at as many sides as possible of the question at hand. So we would have, we, you know, went through over a year of conversations like that. And then when um, we had our, kind of more definitive list, we looked in-house at all of the things that we had, you know, data-wise to back up our decision-making. So we had all of these choices made and we looked at data from one license and we looked at data from our own, own sales records to see, is this, um, you know, really how people are using this music? 
And, right. you know, once again, that that's a, a really fun um, way to analyze uh, the process too, because we get to see how often we got it right and when we might've gotten it wrong. And I really think that there were only a couple of things where the data told us something different than what the committee told us. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you know, they're right. Yeah. On. And that's, We're that's a luxury to have that data available as well, too. I, one thing that really stuck with me uh, early on in your answer was three years. So three years that this took. So uh, that's just not something we think of every Sunday. We're, you know, we're picking up the hymnal, singing from it. We don't really know, you know, as parishioners, I guess, in the people in the seats, what exactly, you know, all the work and all the hours that go into make making these hymnals, making these worship resources. So um, yep. just hearing that really stands out for sure. And that's really only, that's really three years of like concerted effort. But I think mm-hmm. the, the true answer is that as soon as Gather 3 came out, right, we really wanted to be in conversation with customers and, and congregations about how they're using what happened together. Where did we get it right in Gather 3? And where is there room for improvement? So that type of, you know, data collection and conversation and relationship work has been happening really even longer than the three years. But yeah, it's not just, it's, it's not an easy process. It's not a short one and no decision is taken lightly. Right. One quick question. Of course, you could always count on Michael Silhavy to keep the mood light throwing a one in there possibly, but as the chair of the hymnal committee, are you allowed to veto his, uh, <laughs> jokes, I guess. <laughs> you know, Michael's jokes. I mean, if I'm not vetoing something about Michael on a daily basis, <laughs> there's something wrong. <laughs> That's right. And there it is. I don't think, you know, Michael, correct me if I'm wrong here and I'm just living in some, you know, rose colored glass world. <laughs> but um, I don't think we really veto each other. I think we do a, a pretty good job of expressing when we have true difference of opinion or true, you know, a difference of perspective. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, the buck does have to stop somewhere, but all of the work that we do is really intentionally not left on the shoulders of one person. So that seems, that seems, you know, to dishonor the work that we do that right. is so communal in nature to have one person being the sole decision maker that, that doesn't, that doesn't match up, that doesn't compute. So we work, we work hard at that. And it doesn't mean that we don't disagree with each other because that, that learning how to disagree well is a, an important part of our work. Definitely. Well, I agree. <laughs> oh my gosh, she agreed with me. Hey, there we go. Mark this one down. <laughs> so the next question I have for you guys is, how is Gather 4 different from Gather 3rd edition? And how does Gather 4 continue to represent the legacy of the Gather hymnals, as you mentioned before? Well, first of all, rather than the sound of the hymnal, I'm going to talk about the look of the hymnal. You're going to open up the hymnal and you're going to say, oh yeah, I know this look. Oh yeah, I I know this is what a GIA hymnal looks like. This is what gather looks like. Uh, There's that sense of comfort and familiarity where the book is pretty much laid out the same way. And of course there's there's new things we're adding. Um, A little bit later on, I think we're going to talk about the cover, which is very exciting how a cover design comes into be. But the book looks like a gather hymnal. The book looks like a GIA hymnal. Mm-hmm. Uh, earlier we talked about, yeah, we, we had the benefit now of 10 years to know what service music 
has caught on. Um, and if a hymnal takes three or four years to do, that means music that was written 13, 14 years ago might not have gotten into Gather 3. So uh, this is catching up uh, with established repertoire. Um, so we know that Gather has become our flagship hymnal, as it were. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's the hymnal most parishes identify with. So we needed to make sure that uh, we were not giving them something outside the gather idea, always with a little bit of change. And I think this hymnal, Kate, uh, pretty much follows that pattern we, we always accidentally seem to fall upon where somewhere between 25% to 33% of all our hymnals is new material. So about 75% is recycled from hymnal to hymnal. And it's always, it always just works out that way. Um, so yeah, some of, it, some of it kind of changes places with one another. So even though 70 to 75% of the music has been in a hymnal before, um, it might not have been in Gather 3. It might be something that was in Gather Comprehensive that uh, the committee decided um, that was a good thing. And it, it, you know, that could have another life in this time and place. And um, I, I think, I think that that's kind of one of the fun parts about it. Like you might have missed your favorite song in, in Gather 3 and suddenly it's back. It came back either by popular demand or by just discernment uh, and wisdom of the group that this, this piece still has merit. Yeah, I just, I, and just to jump on that, it's not only new music that's brought in, but sometimes it's old music. For instance, here's uh, it's maybe a silly, or I should say silly, a small example, but in Ritual Song, we added the Advent chant, Rarate Chaley, which had never been in a hymnal. So there we're reaching back several hundred years to put something in the hymnal. Um, mm -hmm. So our hymnals also, we bring forth old repertoire that we're now seeing a use for. And then Kate, we also want to talk about um, Gather 4 is different than Gather 3 because the world is different. Uh, the church is different. We talk about a hymnal being a snapshot in time. So you, you want to just talk about that? Yeah, I think that was one of the things I noticed when I looked at Ritual Song 2, actually is that you could see, you could almost see because of the, the choices of songs in that book, you could see the types of conversations that the committee was having and the committee being kind of a, a microcosm of, of the greater conversation that our church and our nation, our context is having. Um, so you could see in Ritual Song a lot more text that spoke to the situation of um, uh, you know, issues of immigration or displacement. Um, there was special attention to uh, the lament sections of the book, because we have learned, we've learned something about grief as a nation since, you know, we're coming up in a couple of days here on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And that has shaped our nation. It has shaped the way that we've prayed and the way that we, you know, we noticed that we long for songs of lament because we have things to lament about. And lament is not bad. Lament is one of the, one of the gifts that God has given us to um, you know, be in solidarity with God when things are not going well. Um, go ahead, Michael. The, um, the, the, the immigration pieces 
were largely inspired by Pope Francis. And <laughs> it's yeah. funny, I think another way that Pope Francis finds his way into the hymnal is uh, it's not good enough just to have creation songs anymore, but it needs to be care of creation. Yeah. And so, yeah, wise students of hymnody 100 years from now are going to look back and say, oh, yeah, these were real important issues to the country, to the church. Uh, this is what the leadership was talking about. And these folks uh, chose to enshrine that in a hymnal. So, and Gather Four is also going to have ad address new issues. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that we, we definitely talked a lot about in the committee, you know, our desire to be representative of all of the singing, praying voices of our communities. Um, and what does it mean to be authentically representative? So we took a hard look at, at um, the, are the pieces that are coming to us from other cultures, are they something that we are appropriating? Are they something that are authentic and authentically crafted, authentically done? And then the justice issue of when we use something from another culture, from any culture, including our own, are we justly, you know, is it, is it justly represented on the page, but also is it justly compensated? Does mm -hmm. any of the, the, the recognition, acknowledgement, uh, and, you know, eventually the financial return of the use of the material, is it going to the place that bore it, essentially? Um, right. And so I was really proud of the conversations the committee had about that and their um, constant desire to make sure that that was true. Michael. Yeah, I'm sorry. I think that point you made about incorporating music from other cultures, that's a great example of a snapshot where 30, 40 years ago, oh my goodness, we were so happy to get music from other cultures in our hymnals, but because we didn't know how to deal with this acapella melody from Asia, we decided to write a very Western four-part harmonization. Or because we didn't know what to do with this little song from Peru, we thought, oh, this song uh, isn't good enough on its own. It needs some verses, so we better help this song. So in, in, in the last decade, especially, even the last few years, there's been a much more important emphasis on making sure what's uh, appearing is being uh, appearing authentically. So, um, right, that, that's a snapshot right there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. and the other, the other thing that we took um, care to talk about this time is, you know, what we're hoping that our music um, will do for our assemblies and for our liturgical celebrations. And, we, we always know that language can be problematic when you talk about music. So if you say traditional and contemporary, there are people who define On Eagle's Wings as a traditional song. And there are people who define Burrache Shaley as a traditional song. Um, and so that language can sometimes inhibit our understanding uh, of what we're actually talking about. And to, to kind of you know, try to take a new approach to that, that language of talking about our songs in this book, we talk about the traditional body of work, that music that has been with us for some time and has been a part of other hymnals. And it should be something you should expect to see in a GIA hymnal, like all are welcome. Mm -hmm. Something you would expect to see in a GIA hymnal. Um, and then we have music that we're referring to as advancing 
music because it's not advanced in it's you know the need for technical ability to be able to to produce it but it's advancing us in the conversation about what music is and what music does for us as a part of uh, praying communities and and I really appreciated that way of looking at things because there are all kinds of ways that this snapshot in time will push us towards the next one and that that advancing repertoire will help us get there. I think you guys really explained that beautifully. Uh, as mentioned, Gather is kind of, you know, GIA's flagship hymnal, if you will. And Michael touching on, yes, this is going to, you know, look and feel like a Gather hymnal. But at the same time, as you guys mentioned, that the church has changed so much. So it's important that we get, the, you know, the, those new voices into the hymnal and those new cultural elements into the hymnal as well. So I, I think that's really great well, what we're doing there. So uh, as... As we mentioned, uh, this hymnal has a very culturally diverse roster of composers and a wider breadth of musical styles as before. So by saying that, how do you think this hymnal can fit into every par parish's repertoire? Michael, you want to start? Well, once again, um, everyone is going to see themselves in the hymnal. I mean, the, the hymnal is so broad that you're going to see yourself in there. And <laughs> I think we need to give ourselves permission to say, why is this song in there? I would never sing it. Well, then don't sing it. Yeah. Um, no one sings everything in the hymnal. So uh, please folks, never, never look at those dozen, two dozen, whatever it is songs that are so outside your capability or, or taste that, uh, you know, um, no one sings everything in a hymnal. So the point is, it's all there. And yes, we want people to add new music and use one license and buy octavos and use other resources. Um, I've got Gather 3 in my place. And uh, I've had it there for nine, 10 years. And uh, look, I, I rarely go outside of the hymnal. I mean, I've got 800 songs to choose from in that hymnal. Uh, it'll be the same thing uh, when we get gather four. So, so th that's that's the important thing. Everything is there for a parish. Everything is there, and no one needs to worry about that. Yeah, and I think it's it, it really it, it means a lot to people like me, uh, who as a, a young woman in the pews, you know, Diana McElintel I think talks about this uh, in a more eloquent way than I can. But you know, flipping through the hymnal. And asking yourself that question, can I see myself in here? Do I see, you know, songs written by women or mm -hmm. lyrics um, written by a woman or that speak to, a, you know, experience from the perspective of a woman? That, that means a lot. So to have a, a book that enshrines both the Panje lingua and uh, Breath of Life, Sally Ann Morris, that, that's, that says something about the, the validity of of both things, of many things, and yeah. their worthiness of being enshrined in that same book that will that will teach and inform and inspire um, the whole body of people. Yeah, absolutely. Next question here: What was your favorite part of working on the hymnal? My favorite part of working on the hymnal is fighting with Michael. <laughs> 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 nah, 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 nah. No, I, I really every part. 
I, you know, today, actually, today I celebrate my fifth anniversary at GIA. Ah, yes. like yeah, happy anniversary. Been, yeah. Thank you. I was going to end with that, Kate. I just want you to know. Oh, I, I, I was going to wrap things up. So You're so kind. You're it so went kind. noticed. It does go noticed, your anniversary. So <laughs> Thank you. But it feels like it's been a five-year-long learning curve. And so three of those have been a part of the hymnal process. And really every part, I'm learning a lot along the way. Mm-hmm. But I love learning about the process and the people involved. I love the conversations that we have about... Uh, what people do in their part of the country or in their ensemble and their in their campus ministry in their cathedral in their rural parish I love learning that stuff because it says something to me it paints a picture really for me about you know the image and likeness of God um, in our circles that we care about which is you know liturgical music how does the liturgical music practices of the country paint the picture of the image and likeness of God and those are my favorite most inspiring things, topics to talk about. So I got to learn that from the committee, the work we did with the committee. I got to learn it from the analyzing of the data, um, both the internal data and the anecdotal data that people um, share along the way. And of course, I always learn that in my conversations with Michael and with Peter and with other people who are, you know, the ones we get to, to work with every day. I, I like learning Mm -hmm. uh, about about um, how we're all equally um, passionately engaged in this work. Sure. Yeah. Just being in the room with all those great music minds, you know, bouncing ideas back and forth too. It's just, you know, yeah, the room where it happens. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So I know that um, gather four is, has a very comprehensive Psalter. So um, could you enlighten our customers just a little bit as to what to expect in that regards? Yeah. Speaking of favorite things about the book, that is one of them for me. Um, Traditionally, Gather has used um, the uh, Gimo Psalter, which is, um, you know, refrains written by Michel Gimo and, you know, a couple of others along the way too, and verses set to a particular psalm tone. And that's the, the Psalter that has accompanied Gather. It's gone in the lectionary portion of Gather books. Um, but we have lots of Psalters at GIA. We have a Jeleno Psalter. We have the Lyric Psalter, which is uh, Tony Alonzo and Marty Haugen. We've got a Cry Out with Joy Psalter, which is kind of a more contemporary take on that chanted verse type of responsorial song presentation. We have the Oramos Cantando Psalter, which is every single psalm every single week is presented in a bilingual format. We've got the Lead Me, Guide Me Psalter, which is a Psalter um, that accompanies our Lead Me, Guide Me hymnal that has just an absolute, uh, just an abundance, an overflowing cup of, of offerings from, uh, you know, the Black Catholic community and from composers of color. And oftentimes, you know, once I discovered that Psalter, I would go to that Psalter mm-hmm. most often because there are some really great Psalms in there. But if you're, you know, if you're kind of used to using one thing, you, you tend to keep using that thing. So to, to shake it up and again, to, to go along with that idea that we want representation to be found, you know, good representation to be found in this book. We want to show our attention to that desire for good representation. Um, and we want to honor the fact that we know that music directors everywhere do Psalms in all kinds of different genres and different kinds of formats. So what this comprehensive Psalter does is it pulls each 
each Sunday we'll have a presentation of the prescribed lectionary psalm text, which is now um, in this uh, Psalter and Psalters to come, the Abbey Psalms and Canticles translation. Uh, so each Sunday we'll have, each Sunday and, and solemnity or feast, we'll have a different uh, genre, um, which is all really, it had already been work within the GIA fold. It's just, if you're used to using the Gimel Seltzer, you might not have known about it before. Mm-hmm. So it's diverse in style. It's diverse in compositional voice. And it is the first Seltzer in our in our fold to really do that intentionally and to present a number of these psalms um, written by people of color, by women, by all of the groups that we discerned along the way had been underrepresented for too long. Michael, do you want to say anything else about the Psalter? I know you love talking about Psalms. Yeah, well, I do. And I, once again, uh, to help people better understand Gather, and once again, I, I, I don't say this to steer people to ritual song, but for instance, ritual song took a very different approach with the Psalter, where the ritual song lectionary was kind of that classic Grail, Jeleno, Battistini, Prue, Psalter, but then we also had all of the Gimo antiphons in that book. So there we wanted to give people a hymnal with almost a double Psalter with two well-known versions of a Psalter. Here in Gather 4, we're giving people yet another version of the Psalter. So uh, I mean, that's a great example that we're just not perpetuating thing from book to book. And um, when you look at uh, the hymnals to choose from, and we do who hope you'll choose Gather 4, um, uh, you just need to know that, uh, yeah, this, this has a, a, a new approach to a Psalter. And um, uh, that, that's significant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent. Uh, next thing here we got for you guys is just the timeline of all the editions. I know we've done something a little bit different with this hymnal, trying to get all the editions out at the same time rather than just, you know, the pew edition first and having to wait for the accompaniment, uh, guitar versions, things like that. Yeah, so the official launch of the hymnal we have down um, October 1st. And what we would like to have available at that time is the Pew Edition, the Keyboard Landscape Edition, the Guitar Edition, and a brand new edition. The Psalter's already done, so you can order the Psalter now if you want to, and you don't need to have Gather for in your pews to be able to use this Psalter, certainly not as a resource on your uh, shelf. You can go ahead and grab that right away. Uh, but this new edition that we're doing for the first time is called a Lead Sheet Edition. And for those who are familiar with our guitar editions, um, traditionally at GIA, Guitar editions include the chord symbols and the capo chord symbols, if that's needed, the melody, as well as all the other vocal um, harmony parts. And that serves a lot of people really well. The people that it doesn't serve very well are percussionists, <laughs> guitarists, um, pianists who like to read, um, you know, improvise their own accompaniments. And the reason why is because with their hands occupied uh, with the piano, guitar, or percussion, they can't turn pages. <laughs> yeah. um, and really it's almost a lot of the time for these musicians, uh, it's too much information on the page. They don't need all of that vocal harmony information. What they need is the chart. They need the melody, the lyrics, the chords, 
and they need to, whenever possible, not have to turn the page so that they can keep their hands um, going with the rhythm or the, you know, the, the bolstering of the accompaniment. So we're having one. We're having both the guitar edition as people traditionally know it to be, as well as a lychee edition, which will hopefully be really, really good for those, especially the contemporary ensembles and for gigging musicians. Um, we're also, we are in the process right now of putting up the Pew edition on the app and hope we're hoping that that will help us, um, you know, give some, you know, immediate access to some uh, promotional copies and so that we can, and the upcoming webinars we're talking about so that um, we can uh, do them while you're looking at your own version of the book as well. But definitely still send in your email and we'll send you a hard copy um, mm -hmm. of a, a review copy as soon as they're in house, which is supposed to be later this month. Right. Um, and as soon as they get here, we're going to do a little blessing over the books. And then we hope that they leave our warehouse as soon as they came in. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Can you tell us a little bit about the cover design of the hymnal and the inspiration meaning behind it? Do it, Michael. Well, that sometimes is as much fun as assembling the committee or assembling the repertoire. Uh, the whole idea of what is this book going to look like? So helping us this time was Dan Cantor. Now, many of you are going to know Dan Cantor is the composer of Night of Silence and, and other pieces. And I'm, I'm sure some, I'm, I'm sure a composer is always honored and yet annoyed when they're identified with only one piece of music. So Dan has a large repertoire, but Dan has a whole nother side to him as a brilliant, brilliant graphic designer, helping major companies with logos and branding and imaging. So it was an absolute joy to have someone in our family already, Dan Cantor, to have him design the book. So we did that typical, oh, paper on the wall and concepts and what words describe the hymnal and what do you, you know, uh, that, that whole collecting of information. And then Dan collected all that stuff. And I still remember, Kate, that incredibly breathtaking day when we all sat in the conference room and Dan launched his proposal. And he first would start out with, you know, what we're trying to do here is, you know, a brand and, and just very, very, what he should be doing, the overview. And then we kept turning pages. He kept showing pages, showing pages. And then finally, we got to the most elemental parts of the design. And we just all went, oh, we were just blown away by what he came up with. So um, you can certainly see the design out there and um, you hate to describe away a design because you, you don't want to, you, you want people to find their own meaning in the design. But a couple of things people are gonna notice, um, they're gonna notice the form of a cross that goes from the front of the book to the back of the book. And that's a wonderful nod to our Worship 3 hymnal where one literally would hold the cross as they held the hymnal. And this is really difficult for a designer to do because so often there's a tendency for someone to think, oh, 
this is something for church. So let's put a cross on it so we know that it's a sacred book. Um, no, this isn't cross as logo. This is cross as design element. And then you'll see these little circles, which give hint of connection and gathering, or is it dispersing as we're, we're uh, sent out to do at the end of mass? And there are some circles by themselves. There are some circles that are broken. There are some circles in groups. And um, we'll just let the user and the person in the pew let those things be what they want them to be. And that is the brilliance of a design like that. Um, boy, that could be a whole show just with Dan talking about the design. Kate, I think uh, I've left the best part for you. Uh, and that is the number one question, more than what's gonna be in the book, the question, what colors are gonna be? What color is the book gonna be? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so we had, you know, we had Gather Comp was green, Gather Comp two was maroon, Gather three was you know, bright royal blue. The other one was teal. Who remembers that? The other one was teal, yeah. Um, and we had just put out Ritual Song, which is a deep red, Ritual Song 2. Mm -hmm. And so, man, we tossed this one around for quite a while. Victoria's favorite color is purple, so she was really gunning for purple. Uh, Dan worked up a number of models for us, and I was actually shocked at the one that we landed on, because if you would have told me this is what we would have landed on before we did the discernment process, I never would have guessed. But going through this process with Dan and really making every decision, no matter how small, intentional and meaningful, we landed on slate gray. Mm -hmm. And there's something about the strength and sturdiness of that color after a time of so much unrest and uncertainty that felt like the grounding presence we needed to create the platform for all of this life to spring up off of. Um, and it's a beautiful book. It, it is, is so dignified and elegant looking. It will look good in any type of worship space, whether you have a very traditional um, Gothic cathedral-like uh, church setting, or you've got a contemporary Newman Center looking uh, uh, community, it will look good in every single worship space, as well as on your own shelf in your, right. in your, in your office so that you can use it for resource and for planning. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. And it, is. Feel, it feels good in your hand. That's another thing that there is an element of touch and feel. You're going to feel the embossment and the indentations and the design on the cover. And people don't think about that, but it's also just a sensuous book to hold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Count me among the fans of people who like the cover design. I'm, uh, it definitely wasn't like something I was expecting, but that, that's certainly not a bad thing. It's a, you know, it's a good thing. When I first had seen it, I was like, oh, wow, that's, you know, different from what I was expecting, but I, I'm, I'm a fan for sure. Definitely. Yeah, good. So the last question here, thank you guys again for, for joining me, uh, taking time out today. We really appreciate it. And I'm sure our customers appreciate getting an inside look at the hymnal as well. So this has been a lot of fun. Uh, last question I got for you guys is just, we're planning to do a little, a small, I guess, hymnal tour, if you will. Um, a couple of places around the country, obviously we'll make sure that, uh, we do these events safely and everything along those lines, but, 
Could you talk a little bit about what these events, what are our, our kind of our goal for these events is? Yeah, um, we, you know, with the exception of last year, uh, every year we do a summer reading session tour when we go to um, all different cities around the country. And so we would like to do the same thing, not just with octavos this time, but with our hymnal. I think the best way, the easiest way, the quickest way to fall in love with a book, with a hymnal is to sing from it, to make it come to life and to have that experience of singing with other people whenever possible. So whether it be a virtual opportunity or we're still hoping, yeah, for those in-person opportunities to get together in the same room, singing the music on these pages together. Um, that really is in all of its purity and simplicity, that is the goal. Yes. Get people to fall in love with it because they came to know it. Okay. Excellent. Well, we are done. Thank you guys very much. Really appreciate it. Great fun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good seeing you both and you guys have a good rest of the day. All right. You too. We'll see you, right. Tony. Take care. Thank you for tuning into that interview with Kate Williams and Michael Sohavy. And we hope you enjoyed the preview of Gather 4th Edition. For more information on a hymnal, to download the indice and see the full reference guide, go to www.giamusic.com and click on the Gather 4 rotating banner on the home page. You can also click on the separate banner with information on the free webinars for Gather 4. And again, if you'd like to order a review copy, you can contact GIA Sales and Customer Relationship Manager Suzanne Orland by email at suzanneo at giamusic.com or by phone at 708-552-9815. We appreciate you listening to episode 13 of Encore. Stay tuned to GIA social media channels and soundboard.giamusic.com for updates on our next episode. Until next time, take care, everyone. Mm-hmm.